0: Good morning, everybody you're welcome to take your seat for those who don't know me my name is Hank I'm one of the elders in the congregation and I'm gonna um, preach this morning this is our last uh, morning service and we are also concluding our Christmas series a sermon series uh, which is called unwrapping the gift as you are very very well um, aware even since October in the shopping malls you will know it's Christmas season they drag out the Christmas season because then they can make a lot more money out of us. Uh, but it's also festive season. It's a time to go to family. It's a time when families gather together. Some of the people are already at the beach today. Boo-hoo-hoo for them. And the good old faithful Christians are in the church today. <laughs> Give yourself a hand. <clears throat> no, uh, we want to grant them their rest. Maybe next time it's us. All right, so over the last two Sundays, we talked about uh, the concept of unwrapping the gift. We talked about Jesus as the gift. First of all, we unpacked the idea of Jesus, the Lamb of God, slaughtered for our sin. Jesus dying for our sin. And then we talked about Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus the Lord. When he was raised from the dead, he's proven to be the Lord over everything and the Lord of, of us. And it's only when we accept Jesus as our Lord... When we are saved Now, I want to start this morning Before introducing this topic um, I want to Let's go into practical Do you you like some practical this morning? It's festive season, it's Christmas It's a time of gift giving So I've got two gifts here I thought maybe if there's some children here Or someone that's interested To get a gift or two Please come to the front quickly (laughs) Yes! I've got one, I've got one, I've got two, I've got two. Okay, come, 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 quickly, 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 quickly. She was first. Can I give it to her? Okay, you two stay here. Yeah? So it works like this. You can quickly open it, nee? and when you open it, once you opened it, you can decide what you want to do. But you have to turn that way. Okay. Once you opened it, you can decide what you want to do with the gift. It's your decision. Okay, but you have to quickly open it. As you would do on Christmas Day. Don't worry, it won't break. Let's see who's the fastest. Let's see who's going to get to the... Woo! I just love opening up, opening up presents, don't you? Come on, come on, come on. You're almost there, you're almost there. Don't worry, you won't get a newspaper for Christmas. Oh. My wife knows how to wrap a a present. Maybe just show everybody what is this. so if you want to <laughs> well now you can decide what you want to do with it do you want to eat it what do you want to do with it oh you want to keep it do you really want to keep it do you like broccoli do you really like it <laughs> well I hope so <laughs> maybe you can share okay you can leave it all yeah don't worry Okay, thank you. Let's give them a hand. I'm not sure about you, but did you notice his face when he, when he opened it up <laughs> and it was broccoli? I'm sure it wasn't what you expected, eh? But maybe the hosting team will spoil you afterwards, okay? I know broccoli is not what we, what we hope to get. You know, sometimes this is how gifts work. We've got a preconceived idea of what we're going to get. And sometimes it's nice if someone knows you so well and they buy you that ideal gift that you always wanted, but you never told anybody and they just knew. They buy you this gift and it's like, wow, this is amazing. But sometimes you get something that you don't really like or don't really want. And everybody can see it on your face. Eh? This wasn't really what you, what you wanted. What do we do with the gift that is not exactly what we hoped it to be. How do we respond to that? So I want to share maybe from my own life. When I was little, there was there was these two incidents. On Christmas, we were at the at people in our in my dad's church on a farm, and we spent the day there. And then I I wanted desperately a little motorbike toy that was like this. I saw it in the shop, saw it in the shop, and I wanted that, and. And somehow when we got to that farm that day, they bought me this gift, and I opened the gift, and I saw this motorbike. I got so excited, and I took it out. And the moment I took it out, I remember saying these words. I said, oh, it's plastic. <laughs> and my mom nearly died, and she reprimanded me. They, no, you know, you need to be grateful. And I was like, but in my mind, it was not like I was really ungrateful. It was just like I expected something different. I maybe I expected it to be maybe a metal toy or something more durable. And as a child, I was just honest, like him, broccoli. It wasn't exactly what I expected. But then there was another Christmas time when my grandmother came. She never really bought us gifts. And that one Christmas, she had the exception, and then she gave us gifts. And I got one of those Airwolf plastic helicopter toys. I don't know if you remember that. I think you pulled something, was, I can't remember how it worked, but then it'd fly up a little bit and then it landed somewhere else. I was amazed by that too. I loved the, t- the TV series *Airwolf*, this chopper that was flying. And that plastic helicopter did everything for me. Even if it was plastic. Because it was, it was something I wanted. Something I liked. You see, we... We embrace a gift differently when we understand the value of the gift. Which of these two gifts this morning was most valuable? The broccoli. Why? It's got the most nutrition value. But that's not it, ideally what we want. You see, what we want is not always what we need. We think we know what we need, but we crave our wants. We go for what we want instead of what we need. And then when someone like God offers us what we need, we don't want to accept that. We push it away and we go for something that we want instead. Isn't that familiar to us? That's why we struggle with sin. That's why we struggle with addictions. We know in our minds it's wrong. But it's because we are craving the wants, and we're going for what we want instead of what we need. Now, today we're going to talk about Jesus, Messiah. And I want to phrase it to say, the gift that was rejected. So let's read. You can read with me in Luke 4, a few verses. We're going to read from verse 16, that passage. It was Jesus visiting his hometown in Nazareth, where he was born. Not born, but where he was raised. So now Jesus, he went to Nazareth, uh, Luke 14 verse 16, where he had been brought up on the Sabbath day, and he went into the synagogue as was the custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll, thank you very much, of the prophet Isaiah. This is the book Isaiah, different than your Bible, eh? The, different than the Bible app, definitely. It was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Now, I want to challenge you now, as I'm unrolling this scroll, that you will quickly, not on your Bible app, but in your real Bible, quickly find the part, the passage in the book Isaiah, where the following words are written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me. You can quickly refer to that. Who's got that passage? I've got some hands there. Isaiah 61. How can you find it so, e- so easily, Wendy? She's got a reference Bible. You know, but in Jesus' time, it wasn't that easy. There was no chapters, no verses, no Isaiah 61 or 62. You had to open the scroll and find the passage. Oh, this part is going to bro- break. It's like, it's, it's quite a bit of a trick to get there, right? Then you have to read all these Hebrew from right to left and find the passage that speaks. Now, try to flip over a scroll to chapter 61. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a turn to get there, right? Eh? Jesus went exactly to that passage, and he found that scripture, and he read from that piece of scripture. And then once he finished the scripture, he rolled up the scroll. It's quite a bit of effort, actually. And he gave it back to the attendant. Thank you. And he went and he sat down. End of service. How's that for a, for a Sunday service? That was the message. You see, this is the part that he read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Recovery of sight to the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What a beautiful passage. So he rolled up the scroll, he sat down, and that was the end of the sermon. And then the eyes of everybody were on on him. They they were fastened on him. It means they they looked at him with expectations like, okay, that's interesting. What what do you want to say about it, Jesus? Don't you have anything to say about this? It's one thing to stand up in church and read a passage from scripture. But don't you expect me to explain maybe something? I can't just read a scripture and then go and sit down. So they had their eyes on Jesus. And then he said these words. He says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. That's meaningful. And it makes sense if Jesus just stops there. It's like, that's it. Don't you get it? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all of them spoke well of him. When did they speak well of him? It's probably in the church service. They were, you know, whispering. It's like, wow, what is yeah, this man, look at what he's saying. This is awesome. They were amazed. This is a wonderful moment. It's an aha moment when he says this scripture is fulfilled. But he mentioned the, f- the fact that he's anointed. So we, we quickly have to understand what does anointed mean? What's the concept anointed meaning? So the literal translation from the Hebrew word, Mashiach or Messiah, means anointed. And in the Greek language, the word Christos or Christ means anointed. So if we talk about Jesus Christ, we are saying Jesus the anointed. If we talk about Jesus the Messiah... The Hebrew word we would say, Jesus the anointed. So if we say the Lord Jesus Christ, we say the Lord Jesus the anointed. That's what it means. Now it refers to the ritual of consecrating someone or something for a special use by putting holy oil upon them. That's where the concept comes from. So in the Old Testament, when someone was set apart for God's purposes they would anoint them with oil, like a priest. If the priest was put into service, there was oil put upon them, or a prophet. Elijah anointed the next prophet, Elisha, and he poured oil on him. Or a king, if a king was appointed. So all these positions were God-ordained positions for a specific purpose. And these people were chosen by God, and therefore anointed to show that the Spirit of God is upon them So that they can fulfill that purpose it's about the anointing of the holy spirit that rested on them so now jesus is saying the spirit of the lord is upon me he's not just reading the scripture the spirit of the lord is upon me he's saying to them the spirit of the lord is upon me that's what he said that morning so what does it mean he says i am the anointed one Is he saying to them, then, I am the Messiah? Yes, I am the anointed one. But anointing for what reason? Jesus, what are you saying? Are you a priest? Are you a prophet? Are you perhaps a king? What is this anointing? What what are you anointed for? Tell us more. See, at the baptism of Jesus, when he came out of the water, the Bible says the witnesses around him saw this. They witnessed this. They saw the heaven opening up, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in a form of like a dove. It's not a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. Let's, not, let's settle that today. But just like a dove would come down gently, the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus. They saw the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus. What a wonderful moment to witness. And they heard an audible voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved. The Father in heaven declares, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Something special happened at that moment. Jesus was anointed, not by an earthly person, but by the Father himself. And people witnessed that. So Jesus is truly the anointed one. Jesus is the chosen one. He's chosen by God for this exact time. And now he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what does it mean? It means the Messiah is in the synagogue today. Aren't we not excited about that? The Messiah is in the synagogue. Imagine that type of church service. If we could say, who's going to preach this morning? The Messiah. The Messiah is here today. Won't we get excited about that? What does it mean if the Messiah is in the church, in the synagogue? It means that 4,000 year prophecies have been fulfilled on that day. 4,000 years of prophecies come to fulfillment on that moment. What a church service. This anointed Messiah is in this synagogue today. From all the synagogues in the whole nation of Israel, that synagogue, that morning, this Messiah was in this synagogue. It's like coming together at Willow's this morning, and the Messiah is in our church service this morning. You know what's the good news? He is here this morning. Because Jesus is alive, and he poured out the Holy Spirit, so the anointing is here today. Just like in that day, it should have given them so much Good news that the Messiah is here. That means if the anointed one is here, then the anointing is here. Wow. So if the anointing is here, then it's a flow of the blessing of the Father. That anointing breaks the yoke. He said, I'm going to open up blind eyes. I'm going to bring a release for those who are oppressed. That's the anointing. Sitting in that synagogue, what does it mean? Jesus saying, I'm here. The anointing is here. So if whoever had a need, that was the morning to say, Jesus, I need you. Whoever had a blind eye, that was the morning to say, Jesus, open my eyes. Amen? Amen. This morning, the same anointing is here today. Whom of you who sitting here knows that you need a touch of God right now? Please raise your hand. Keep your hand up. Maybe it's a physical ailment this morning. And I'm trusting God for a release of healing anointment upon us right now. We're going to pray right now for a release of the anointing upon us. Maybe it's a physical need, maybe it's an emotional or psychological need, or something in your relationships, but whatever it is, we're going to raise our hands and say, Father, we need now a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. And thank you, Father, that we have access to that anointing through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we as Christians know that we can access this anointing right now. Thank you for the release of that power from healing virtues to flow right now for restoration. Thank you, God, for miracles to take place. I trust you now. There will be testimonies of miracles coming from this moment as we put our faith in you and say, Lord, how humbly we acknowledge we need you. Father, we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. Jesus, we need you. I pray now, release that anointing upon us in Jesus' name. And by faith we say, amen. amen. Let's put our faith out that after today's prayer now, that there's going to be actual testimonies flowing from this. And please, if God has touched you today and something happens, start to share it with people. Why? So that people can know Christ. That other people can also put their faith in Christ Jesus. You see, if the Messiah is here and the anointing is here, we should get so excited, it's actual revival time. That's what churches are Going for some pastors, they would drive this campaign, a revival campaign, to get people excited. You only need the anointing to get excited. You don't need much more than that. Can I get some excitement in this place? So, I would assume by then, they should be ecstatic like you. Like, ecstatic, you know? Okay, it's because the mess- I'm not the Messiah, so that makes a difference, right? Hey? I know if Jesus was standing here, it would have looked quite different. So let's read. Luke four verse 28. We, we jump a few verses. They're still sort of part of the synagogue. The church service is not quite done. All of the, pe- all of the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up. They drove him out. We just prayed, Holy Spirit, touch me. They drove him out. They took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, standing on the cliff in order to throw him down the cliff. <laughs> Have you ever been to a church service when one moment you, you were so touched by God, you were, you're still in awe from the worship, and the next moment you want to walk out of that church service, you are mad at the preacher of what was said, and you actually want to kill him. Same service. Same Messiah, same anointing. What brought them to a place from being amazed to furious? How can you go from amazement to furious to such a point that you want to push him off the cliff? To say, get out of our town. Think about it. If the anointing was there to produce a blessing to them, and we all desperately need the blessings and the miracles, what could possibly lead them to such a place? Now, first of all, they were disappointed in him. Think about the look on that boy's face when he saw the broccoli. They discovered broccoli. It wasn't quite what they thought it's going to be. You see, in verse 22, we go back a few verses. They start to ask a question. Hang on. Isn't this Joseph's son? Joseph, man. Joseph from around the corner, the carpenter. The construction worker this guy we know him we know we knew that little boy Jesus He was growing up here is it the same Jesus that guy is he now the Messiah how can that be they started to argue and reason about it and and it didn't make sense to them and it, it, it wasn't acceptable anymore how can this be shouldn't the Messiah be this person coming from above maybe a God that's dwelling among us he's shining brightly Can he be the boy that grew up without kids in school? Or maybe he was homeschooled, I don't know. See, it wasn't what they expected. And they had the prophecies. They had these messianic scriptures. I want to read some of them to you. Numbers 24. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him. Now it's Old Testament prophesying into the future, the Messiah to come. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A ruler will come out of Jacob. You see, that is the concept that they they started to hold on to. When the Messiah comes, when the anointed one comes, he's going to be a ruler. He's going to be a king. Psalm Psalm uh, Psalm 2 says, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Then he says, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Then he says, you will rule them with an iron scepter. If you think about someone that rules with an iron scepter, it's quite a strong rule. It means it's a person that can bring order from chaos. I don't know about you, but in our country, I'm praying for someone to come with an iron scepter to come and bring order. That's my hope. Then he says he's the chosen one, Isaiah 42. I will put my spirit upon him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will make things right. It's not an unbiblical expectation to have. To think that when the Messiah comes, he's going to be this ruler. In fact, what they thought is he's going to be this royal rider on a white horse. And then they got a preacher on a donkey instead. It w- wasn't that exciting. It didn't really fit their picture you see what they needed what they thought they needed what they wanted was a political leader to come and set them free from the rule of Rome to say let's liberate Israel so that we can be free again and if he did that they would all worship him till today and it was true it's part of the scriptures but it's not the entire prophetic message about Jesus If you look on all the prophetic images, there's also Isaiah 53 that says he is the suffering servant that needs to die for our sin. Somehow, those scriptures was blocked out. Isn't that what we sometimes do with the Bible? We take aspects of the Bible, pieces of scripture. We base our whole life around that part, but we leave out the other part. Partial theology. And then it seems like God is disappointing us. But we're not looking entirely at the whole scripture. Jesus actually then answered them. He says, I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. He was quite aware that in in, in their eyes, he's still the little boy. In their eyes, he never matured. He's he's never going to be accepted and, and, and received as the Messiah. They still see him as the little boy around the corner. How can it possibly be? How can it be that this little boy grew up and now he can claim to be the Messiah? But it's more than disappointment. We can understand the disappointment. They they had a different expectation. Sometimes we have a different expectation and we get disappointed. The second reason why they got so furious is because they were highly offended by Jesus. You only act in such a way. You want to kill someone when you are offended. Jesus must have done something in that church service that offended them quite strongly. So let's continue to read verse 25. This is where it got interesting. You know, it's one thing when Jesus opened the scroll and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The anointing is here. That's all excited. And they said, okay, well, tell us more. Tell us more. And then he, he quotes, he shares this strange piece of passage. He says, I assure you, that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. So Jesus is taking them back into history, saying, let's let's look at what happened when Elijah was here, the prophet. What happened there? There was a lot of widows, and the sky was shut for three and a half years, so there was a drought and famine, remember that time? And Elijah was sent to a widow so that she could care for him. The prophet was sent to a widow. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them. He's saying to them, there was a lot of widows in Israel where I could send my prophet to. But yet, he wasn't sent to any of them. He was sent to the widow in Zarephath. I I can't pronounce this properly. Zarephath. In the region of Sidon. If you look in the map, it's actually north of Israel. It's in Lebanon. It's outside of Israel. He's touching a nerve here. He's saying, I sent my prophet, but my prophet couldn't get to you. I had to send him to another nation. Can you see why they start to get offended by him? Then he goes on. He gives another example. He says, now let's go on. From Elijah to Elisha, the next prophet, he says, And there were many in Israel with leprosy. So there were a lot of people that were suffering from leprosy in Israel. Yet in Elijah's time, but yet not one of them was cleansed. Jesus is making quite a strong point here. He says, but the only person that was cleansed by that prophet was Naaman. And he is a Syrian. He's from Assyria. It's also another nation. It's not Israel. What is Jesus saying here? Let's look at the map and you would see. The orange part is the nation of Israel, then the green part on top, that's Lebanon, and the purple side to the other side, that's Syria. He's saying, I could have sent my prophets to Israel, but I didn't. I had to send him to Lebanon and to Syria. Why? Why was the prophet received by a widow in Lebanon, but not in Israel? Why was the prophet received in Syria so that the healing could take place, but not in Israel, when there were so many others that needed that healing? And surely those people in that synagogue started to ask the question, why? Why not Israel, Jesus? What are you saying? (coughs) To understand that, we want to fast forward to Matthew 25, to a place where Jesus actually shared a little bit more Maybe on what he was sharing that day. Twenty, 23. Just before the crucifixion, Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he started to weep. He started to get really sad and troubled and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He could have said, Oh, Israel, Israel. Because Jerusalem is the capital city. You who killed the prophets this is the problem you who killed the prophets Jesus in that passage goes on in elaborates he says since the innocent blood of Abel the second child who was murdered by Cain his brother all the blood of the righteous people was upon Israel he says you've killed all these sent ones all the prophets even Zechariah, the last priest was killed. All the messages, all the anointed ones were killed, 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 killed. This is what Jesus is saying on that synagogue. Can you understand why they're getting upset with him? He's saying to them, you have killed the prophets. You have killed the anointed ones. Now I'm the anointed one. What do you want to do with me today? He says, I wanted to gather you like a hen would gather her cheeks but you were not willing so that day when jesus was in the synagogue he was just explaining to them that their behavior is not much different than their forefathers the condition of the hearts of the people in israel was not yet any different he knew that if they did not accept elijah they wouldn't accept him. If they didn't accept Elisha, they wouldn't accept him. They were not willing to receive any prophet. That's why they would not be willing to receive the Messiah. You see, they all wanted the miracles. They wanted Elisha to heal them. They wanted Elijah to produce rain from heaven. They want Jesus to m- multiply the bread and to do the things that a prophet should do. They just don't want the message of the prophet. As long as he doesn't open his mouth and bring truth. Isn't that what we do with God as well? We want everything that God can give us as long as he stays quiet and he doesn't talk to us about our lives. As long as there's no truth, then God can shower down his blessings and be the silent partner in heaven. Isn't that true? Isn't that what people do with God? We don't want the prophet's message, but we want the prophet's blessing. So they unwrapped the gift on that synagogue, and instead of m they discovered broccoli, and they rejected the gift. They didn't want him. They didn't want him. This is not what they wanted. They need him but they didn't want him. We look around in the world and we see the whole world desperately needs a savior. They even sing that type of songs. They, they write those poems. They have got the expression, we need something, but they don't want it. Three things. They were not able to recognize when the prophet or the anointed one was there. They they were not humble enough to repent of their sin and their pride. And they were not willing to receive. See, a gift is a simple thing. Someone gives you a gift and you either receive it or you don't. If someone gives you something and you say, okay, thank you very much, and you go home and you're like, what do I do with this? I don't want this bottle of water. Then you put it somewhere and you never use it. Or you just chuck it away. I remember once... I went through a lot of effort to buy my dad a certain type of shoe which I thought was a good thing for him because he had diabetes and this shoe had openings and it was breathing and it was this perfect shoe for a diabetic person. Never thinking through how my dad would perceive the gift, but I thought I did well and I gave him this pair of shoes. And he just looked at his luck, put it there, Um, I think it was a week or two later, my one, my. Brother's son came into the house, and, and my dad says, hey, Armand, he's for your schooner. He says, here's a pair of shoes for you, and he gave it away just like that. And I stood there and I thought, if you understand the effort that I had to go through to think through this gift, to buy it so that, you know, to serve you, my dad didn't put any value to that gift. He didn't do it for him. It's not what he wanted. He just gave it away. And I had to forgive him for that many years later. <laughs> Many times in our lives, we are too blinded by our own self-made expectations to recognize Him. We are too proud to repent and to say that we are wrong. And we are too stubborn to receive God's grace. We say, I'll do it myself. So let's unwrap the Messiah gift if we have to unwrap, unwrap that gift, what does it mean? What is this Messiah gift? How can we get it? A few verses, John 1, 10. He, Jesus, was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to which was his own, but his own did not receive him. You see, they didn't recognize him, didn't receive him. Yet to all who received him, he gave the right become children of god praise god can we give god praise amen see god so loved the world john three sixteen, that he gave his son his one and only son that's the gift god is giving his son broccoli god is not giving us m&ms he's giving us his son and whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, what God is really giving us if it is eternal life. If you, for the rest of your life, eat M&Ms, surely you're going to perish. If you eat broccoli for the rest of your life, as an example, compared to a person just eating M&Ms, this person will have a longer life because of the nutritious value. That's just an example. The Father's gift is the Son who in 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 the end gives us eternal life. 1 John 5, I love this scripture, which says, this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. God has given us eternal life. You can live forever. That was what Jesus came, and that's what was the actual message on that Sunday, or that uh, Sabbath, in the synagogue. (coughs) Jesus said to them, I'm the anointed one. I'm here to give you eternal life. Do you want it? No. No. But he says, he who has the Son has eternal life. This is how you you get it. You can't have eternal life without Jesus. If you receive the Son, you'll have eternal life. That's like a guarantee. So let's ask this important question. So what is required? What does God expect of us in return? I expected my dad, when I gave him that shoes, to say thank you for being considered to put it on his feet... And to actually experience this wonderful shoes that he would never again complain about. He just had to receive it. That's all. So there are three things that's needed. First, to recognize, it's easy words to remember. Recognize, repent, and receive recognize, first of all, that we are sinners and that we are in need of a Savior. That we need someone to give us eternal life, that we will never be able to earn it. Secondly, to repent. That means to confess our sin and to turn away from it. And then to receive. That means by faith. Someone gives me this bottle of water, I'm just going to say thank you, and it's mine. I just take it. It's as simple as that. See, the gift is given as a blessing to everybody, but only those who recognize the value of the gift will really receive it. That's what it boils down to. It's understanding the value of the gift. Only those who repent will be able to receive. You see, a a prideful person struggles to accept gifts from other people. If someone is filled with pride and you give them a, a present or a gift the immediate response is like um, okay but what can I do for you or shouldn't I pay for this or why do you give me this gift I can't surely I can't just take it because your pride says you have to earn it you can't just receive a humble person receives very easily because you know you need something so we have to get rid of that pride and then only those who receive will have the eternal life, will have the blessing. So I wanna end with this. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus is the chosen one. Do you really want what he has to offer? Do you want eternal life? Do you want a relationship with God the Father? Do you want Jesus? Because unless you want Jesus and you receive Jesus, you cannot have any of that. Let us pray. I do want to give an opportunity. If there's someone here today that you realize that maybe up till now you have been chasing the things you wanted instead of the things that you need and that today you realize that you are actually in need of eternal life and that you know and understand that you need to accept Jesus you need to receive Jesus to have that life if that is you and you want to make that decision you want to receive Jesus as your Messiah don't you want to raise your hand so that I can pray with you thank you Let us pray father i just want to pray for those who's raising their hands right now thank you for opening up their eyes in this moment thank you lord for giving them sight to the blindness of sin lord to see through that and to see you thank you jesus that you are indeed the messiah and thank you by them accepting you today that they can come to salvation I pray, Lord, that there will be now an experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, that you will transform their hearts as they receive you now as Christ, as Savior, as the Lord of their lives. Thank you for eternal life that's now deposited to them as an inheritance, as a right, a birthright. In Jesus' name. I do want to ask if you've raised your hands, maybe just to come afterwards. I would like to just have a short moment with you. But I want to give another opportunity. Maybe this morning, you are serving Jesus. You are a follower of Christ. But you realize that you have become misaligned. Your focus is not on the right place anymore. Your focus has shifted to the things that you want. And you are no longer focused on Jesus and what He has to say. You are no longer as open as you should be to the truth of the word of God speaking into your life. You've come to a place where it's more about the blessings than about the one that's blessing. If you realize that it's you and you want to get back to God, you want to just turn your focus back to Jesus, why don't you just raise your hand as well and then we pray. Thank you. So, Father, I pray also for those that now responded to this call, Lord, and I pray that you will help them by grace as they repent of, of, of the slipping away, Lord, as they repent of the worldliness and the flesh and the things that, that makes it so difficult for us to focus on you. I pray that you will restore them right now, Lord. I pray for the passion of Christ like a fire to burn inside of them. And I thank you, Lord, that as a congregation now, we can, we can declare, we can make this declaration with, with boldness, and with joy in our hearts, that you are indeed the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, and the Lord. Amen. Now, let us stand for a moment. We're just going to sing this last song, and we're going to sing it as a declaration. And we can sing it from our heart because we mean it. And we're just going to sing Jesus Messiah. Amen. Thanks.
1: Jesus, Messiah, the name Jesus Messiah the name of and redeem